Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. Well, uh, this has been an interesting morning. I've got to tell you, uh, God's been stirring a message around in me for several weeks now. And um, in prayer, some of the guys were praying over me earlier today. In song, we prayed and sang my message. So I'm done. That's it. No. no. You should be so lucky. <laughs> you know, uh, we're God's highest thought, right? We represent his highest thought, I think, I believe. And uh, we're really made up of three components. We're made up of spirit, we're made up of body, and we're made up of soul. And when I use that word soul, I'm using it in the sense of the sum of our mind, our will, and our emotions. Okay? Sometimes that can be confusing because the word soul is also used in terms of like your eternal identity. Okay, my eternal soul. I'm not speaking of it that way. But today I'd like to talk a little bit about emotions because they're so powerful. They tint the lens through which we see the world around us and they shift our perspective. That's what emotions do. They really can push us in different directions. You see, when it comes to feelings, check me out on this, when it comes to feelings, you don't pick how you feel. You just feel, right? But you do pick how you deal with how you feel. That's your choice. Probably one of the most powerful emotions that we ever experience is the emotion of fear. Have you been fearful? Ever been fearful? Will you lie about other things? No. Everybody has fear. It's very common. In fact... um, Basil King is a guy who wrote a book called Conquering Fear, or The Conquest of Fear. And he said in his book, there's a little quote, he said, you know, we're not sick all the time, and we're not sinning all the time, I hope, but almost all the time we're afraid of someone or something. Fear is very, very pervasive as an emotion, and it has a lot of effect on us. We use it in our culture. Fear has a role. So uh, when you were trained as a child, when I was trained as a child, uh, when you trained your children, you said things like, don't run in the street, you'll get hit by a car, right? We used the fear of an outcome to gain attention for something and and get get a consequence. Um, When I was a kid... My dad, when I'd sufficiently provoked him, uh, he would look at me and he would say, you better pull in your horns. Now, I don't even know what that meant, but I knew what was going to happen because that's the last thing he was going to say. From then on, it was going to be pure action. So he brought fear in in training me. So we have that, you know, that's part of our uh, culture. We have fear in politics. Now, we're unfortunately going into a a year-long election cycle, right? And the ads are going to start coming and so forth. And basically what the ads do 
is they tend, and check me out on this in your memory and what you see happen, they tend to work on fear. So the ad says, this picture here, this is my candidate. This is my guy. Okay? Now, we're not going to say too much about my guy, but what you want to watch out for is the other candidate. That's this one. Okay? And that's, that's what we do. We use fear to persuade people to select one of these candidates. Okay? It's a powerful thing. You know, you find fear in the Bible quite a bit, too. In Genesis, Genesis 12, Abram and Sarai, are, they're sojourning, right? And they arrive in Egypt, and Abram, later to be known as Abraham, has a problem. And that is, apparently, Sarai was a pretty attractive woman. And he was fearful that the king of Egypt would kill him in order to marry his wife. So, as you know, he, he told a story and, and uh, said that she was his sister. But what, what he was afraid of was power. He had a fear of the power of what that king could do. A little later on in this same family, uh, we see the story of Jacob and, and his brother, Esau, right? And Jacob stole his birthright. You remember that, soup and hairy glove and all those things. Um, yeah, okay. I'm trying to be a little humorous here. Anyway, well, later on, they were going to get back together and connect. And Jacob was terrified of the anger of his brother whose birthright he'd stolen. He was fearful. Um, look at Moses. Moses, God reveals himself to Moses, sends him back to Egypt, says, you're going to go back and set my people free. And Moses says, but what if the elders reject me? What, what if they reject me? And they don't believe me. He, Moses had a fear, in that case, of rejection. Or over in uh, Samuel, for example, in 1 Samuel, Saul's getting ready. He's the king, he's getting ready for a big battle on Mount Gilboa, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. So he goes to the witch of Endor and persuades her to bring up the spirit of Samuel so that he could assuage his fear of the unknown. You know, the fear of the unknown, doesn't that impact us all? I remember one time years ago, Betty and I were camping, and uh, we were in Minnesota at Mankato State Park, and we had this little backpack tent for two people, and we had just snuggled down in our sleeping bags to go to sleep, pitch black, and Betty uttered the words that you never want to hear in that situation. She said, what's that? <laughs> she introduced fear of the unknown to me. Now, I'm not sleeping, that's over, you know. My ears, I'm listening and sniffing and, and all of that was fear of the unknown. That's what I had. You know, even in the New Testament, we have the story of Jesus, some of the disciples are in a boat, and it's nighttime. How often is it that fear comes to us in the night? I, that, isn't that a common thing, that, that when we're fearful, it's sometimes in the night or in the early morning? Well, it's nighttime, they're in the boat, there's a raging storm, Jesus is apparently asleep in the boat, and the disciples wake him up. Why? Because... They're afraid of dying. They have a fear of death. So fear is 
all around us. Does that mean that fear is a bad thing? Well, I don't know. You know, for example, what about the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord, that holy respect, that positive passion to not displease him. Isn't that a good kind of fear? What about normal fear? Um, Let's see, what would be a good example of normal fear? Do you have a smoke detector in your house? Because it might be a fire, right? If you were standing on the double yellow line out here on Lookout Road and a semi were barreling down on you, would there be some normal fear or would you just stand there and say, perfect love casts out? (laughs) That would be it, right? So there is normal fear. And there's commanded fear. If you look in uh, your Bible, in the 12th chapter of Luke, Jesus is speaking, and he says, he commands something, he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an ab- in an abundance of possessions. That's something to watch out for. I've, I've kind of wondered about our address sometimes. Look out road, is it? Look out. Or look out. And there's normal fear. And it tells you to be careful, to look out. That's what it does. Then there's another kind of fear that I really want to talk about, and that's unhealthy fear. See, unhealthy fear, what causes that is when we don't feel that we can meet the expectations of God or other people or ourselves. That's when we become unhealthily afraid. Now, There's two tests for that. The first test around unhealthy fear is this. Is God there? Do you see God there? Is there some purpose in what that feeling that's come upon you has that feels that God is in this? You know, in Scripture, God writes to us and he says, fear not. You read that all the time? Fear not, fear not. Be not afraid. Those kinds of things. But Most of the time when he's saying that, he's preceding it or following it with a because. Okay? His purpose is there when he says no fear. So the first thing when you have a fearful feeling is to ask yourself, um, is God in this? Is God in this somewhere? The second thing that will tell you if you have an unhealthy fear is the presence of sin. See, almost all sin is underlying or overlaying guilt, uh, fear, okay? It is. So when you have gluttony, you know, I don't go to buffets. Do any of you go to buffets? You, I don't because it raises up a spirit of gluttony, I guess, in me, and I'm, I'm determined to get my money's worth, you know, and I'm heading for the protein, and at the end of the day, I'm miserable. So I cast that out. I don't, I don't go there anymore, but that's what gluttony is. It's fear of not getting enough. What about anger? Anger is fear of I get my, not getting my way. I'm, I'm not getting my way. That's the fear underneath anger. Worry. Well, we talked about that a minute ago, the unknown. We're afraid of the unknown. So we worry about it. We imagine what's outside that tent. That's what we start thinking about. What about lying? See, lying... The fear underneath that is usually discovery. We're afraid to be discovered, afraid to be exposed, we're afraid to be punished. If you want to teach your child to lie, punish them with shame. 
And what will they do? They'll automatically lie because they're afraid of what you're going to do to them. Stealing, fear we can't get something any other way, and on and on it goes. So the presence of sin can lead you to understand it's an unhealthy fear. The absence of God and his purpose can lead you to conclude you're dealing with an unhealthy fear. In our old man self, when we think about our old man, you know what I mean by old man? In our old man self, we really are interested in three things. One thing that we're interested in is to belong. We want to belong. We want to be included. A second thing that we're interested in is to be worthy. We want the love and respect of others. And the third thing is to be capable. We want to handle it. Men are even worse at this, I think. They're born fixers, aren't they, ladies? They always want to fix stuff. And fear comes against those old man values. Belong, be worthy, be capable. That's what fear attacks, is that. It plays on those desires, and what it does is it instigates a thought process, and that thought process releases the seeds of disbelief. Hmm, that's the first thing. The second is it creates the uncertainty of not knowing. And the third thing that it does is it raises up the memories of past failures. Have you ever opened that file cabinet in your brain and pulled out a great failure and relived it? A great hurt and relived it? It's right there. It's right there. Don't do that. Don't do that. You know, um, fear can be so terribly real. It, it, unhealthy fear can be so terribly real, real. Have you had this situation ever where you went to somebody's house, you were visiting them, you rang the doorbell, they came to the door, and there's a screen door and the door, and the door inside opens, and there's the person standing there, but there's something else standing with him, and we have a picture of what that is. Now, this dog is snarling at you. And what does the owner say? He says, fear not. He won't bite you. So you hear that, and you see this. And uh, my thought is always, no, he won't bite you. But if you open that door, he's going to bite me for sure. That's how real fear is. So what do we do? When we encounter fear, we need to do two things. The first thing that we need to do is we need to renew our mind. We need to go back and make contact with who we are. What's our identity? We, our identity, is not the old man. It's not the old man. Our identity is the new man. Right? Yeah, that's our identity. It's the new man. Jump in your Bible over to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Paul got it all, I think, right there in renewing our mind. And he starts out in verse 14. And 14 through 17, he says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Okay, so that's the first thing. God is in charge, and he is 
our Father. First step in renewing our mind. Second step, Paul jumping down a little bit in verse 28 through 30, says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's everybody in this room. You have been called. You have been foreknown. And you're being conformed to the image of Jesus. In verse 31 and 32, God says, you can depend on me. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Graciously give us all things. We can't be accused, Romans 8 33 and 34, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Yeah. Get a healthy perspective on your situation. Um, we were in Winter Park a couple weekends ago, and Betty was shopping, and she, we were in a T-shirt place, and uh, we had to get certain glow-in-the-dark T-shirts, and uh, she's in charge of that department. So I was wandering around amusing myself by reading all the little things that they put on T-shirts and sweaters and that kind of thing, and I found this one, and it said, Confidence, the feeling you have before you fully understand your situation. I thought that was I thought that was really cute. But you know, when I read that I thought whoever wrote that, I know they were trying to be humorous, but whoever wrote that must not have been a believer because confidence when you know who you are, you don't have to understand your situation. It really doesn't matter. You don't have to. So getting that perspective, Paul writes and he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That doesn't sound very good, does it? Ouch. No, but it's true. But it's true. We cannot be separated. And standing in our identity and remembering that Christ is in us and we in him, in verses 37 through 39, Paul says, No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when unhealthy fear arrives, the first thing to do is go to Romans 8. Yeah, get a gut check, okay? Remember who you are. Remember you're a new man. Unhealthy fear does, does, has no traction for you. The new man's Teflon, okay? So there, there is no traction for unhealthy fear when you renew your mind in Christ And remember who you are and what Jesus has done. The second thing that needs to happen is you need to take action. You ever been paralyzed by fear? 
a red fear just kind of stuck there. You need to take action. The first thing you need to do is acknowledge you're afraid. You know, when you see the dog in the door, like, whoa, I'm afraid of that dog. I think he's going to bite me. So acknowledge it. Acknowledge that you're having fear. And the second thing is to give it a name. Figure out what you're actually afraid of. You need to identify it and name it. You know, it's like when you're sick. Have you ever been in that situation where you're sick, you're not sure quite what's the matter, and so you, uh, you go to the doctor, and uh, the doctor says, well, you've got lumpuckaroo, or um, you've got the biggity bow jams, whatever it may be. You have something. Don't you feel better immediately when you name it? Because now you have a better understanding of it. So name your fear. I'm afraid of the dog. I'm afraid of being bitten. I don't care if he barks, but I don't want to be bitten. That scares me. The third thing to do is to uh, share that fear. See, a fear shared is a fear reduced. You share that fear. You have a trusted Christian friend, okay? Don't go ask the fox about the chickens, okay? Don't do that. But you have a trusted friend. You go see that friend, and you say, I'm afraid of this dog. I want to visit this person, but there's just this dog there, and I'm afraid he's going to bite me. And so, uh, what do you think about that? And just by doing that, you begin to bring that fear into the proper perspective. The 23rd Psalms is a great psalm for fear, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. And I'd like you to focus about one thing there, and that is when the psalmist is talking about the valley of the shadow of death. He says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Look at the table, not the enemies. Okay? Look at the table. Romans 8 is the table. Look at what God has given you, who God has made you to be, what Jesus did to bring you to that new man place. Look at the table, not the enemies. When, when the enemy comes against us and he's attacking this old man about belonging and being worthy and being capable, what he wants us to do is to feel isolated. He wants us to feel uncertain. And he wants us to feel powerless. But we can't do anything at all. So what do you do about that? Well, what I do about that as I enter into a conversation with God. And now I'm saying, God, I'm afraid of the dog. I'm afraid he's going to bite me. I told Betty about it. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the table. What can you say to me, God, about that? God will talk to us. He talks all the time. So enter into a conversation with God. Don't run away. Don't feel unworthy. Don't feel isolated. Don't feel powerless and unable to do anything. But rather go to the source of all power. Talk to God. And lastly, expect. Expect God's response. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, didn't he? Expect God's response. And when you get it, remember it. Record it. 
Okay, put that, that's the other little file cabinet in your brain. All right? See, when a person with an experience meets a person with an argument, the experience will always win. Okay? It will trump the argument. So when the enemy comes to you and says, Bob, you failed at this, you sinned here, he, he brings the words that, that are the most damaging called always and never. I'm always like that. I never get it right. That sort of thing. When he comes that way, you're able to say, oh, wait a minute. That's not so. I trusted God. I trusted God, and here's what he did. I see the dots connect in my life where God has moved, even when I didn't understand it. I can see those dots connect. So when you have those things... You're ready to be not afraid, okay? You're ready to be not afraid. Emotions are real and powerful, and they're part of our God-given character. They are, including fear, fear of the Lord, fear of things that could harm us. But the enemy wants to pervert those fears and make us afraid of God, that we, we, we're not worthy. We're not worthy, you see. God's not interested in us. He's not talking to us anymore. We failed him. That kind of thing. That's what the enemy wants to pervert because he wants to defeat us and he wants to confound God's purpose here. That's what he's after. To kill, steal, and destroy. And fear is one of the big tools in his workshop, but it doesn't work on us. See, a proper perspective will always defeat unhealthy fear. Look in your Bibles. Second... Timothy, Paul's second letter to Timothy, um, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In there, Paul writes and he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's what we got. That's what we got. You know, when you do a little word study on that, I think it's interesting. Um, the word that, uh, that God uses for fear in this scripture is a word that is, uh, it means timidity, being timid. And it's connected to the idea of dread and unfaith or faithlessness. Okay? That's what Paul is writing about. You don't have that. You don't have a spirit of dread. You don't have a spirit of timidity. You don't have a spirit of faithlessness. He didn't give that to you. Instead, he gave you the spirit of power. The word power that's used there is dunamis. And it's where we get the word dynamite. That's where we get the word dynamo. That's where we get the word dynamic. And the sense of that, though, is miraculous. Uh, when, when you read the, the definition... It says force, literally or figuratively, specifically miraculous power, usually by implication of a miracle itself. Abundance, meaning might, strength, violence, mighty work. That's the power that we've been given. The word love, of course, is agape. Agape refers to the covenant love between us and God and between us together, each other. That's the power of love that we have. And the word for sound mind is a combination 
of a word that um, means saved, safe. It's, it's the base word for savior, salvation, uh, those terms that we use today. A saved mind. It's a combination of saved and the word friend, which means mind or thought. So if you think about it, what God's saying is this. Oh, let me read you one thing first. J. Vernon McGee. Do any of you know who J. Vernon McGee was? Yeah. Amazing, amazing guy. Uh, he, he was a tremendous, I think, preacher and teacher, and he had a, a program uh, on the radio called Through the Bible. And talking about this sound mind, because this is important, this, this is where the battleground is, you see. He, uh, he said this, a sound mind means discipline. In other words, God does not intend that defeat should be the norm of Christian living. We should be disciplined Christians rather than slaves to our emotions. We're all moved by our emotions. That's why people will send money to organizations that advertise with a picture of a poor, hungry little orphan. But Christians are not to be motivated by their emotions. Our emotions are not to master us. We are to be disciplined. So when, when you put this whole thing together, what do you have? First of all, no fear, no timidity, no faithlessness, none of that. The second thing is you have a miraculous, dynamite, spiritual power in love, and it's disciplined by your saved mind. Does that make sense? Do you have that? Do you think you have that? Do you feel like you have it? I wonder... I wonder how we know. Let's just pause for a second. Turn your thoughts inward and think for a minute. Okay, Bob said this, that I've not been given a spirit of fear, but rather power and love and a sound mind. So how do you know? How do you know that? What is it that makes you believe that within yourself? And if you don't, that's okay, by the way. This isn't a test your authenticity as a Christian. Just think about how do you know? When the enemy comes against us, he likes disbelief, likes to use that, likes to isolate us, all of those things because he's defeated. He's already lost. It's all over. We read the end of the book, right? We know. And so... Fear, for each of us, has no place. It has no place at all. Sometimes we access that spirit and we, uh, we say yes, yes, and amen. And then we lose it. Have you ever lost it? Like panic? Unreasoned fear? Absolutely. So today, maybe you've lost it. If, if, have, have some of you lost it? Does anybody want to admit to that sometime? No? Oh, yeah, yeah, I see some hands. Okay, cool. How many believe you have it? Do you have it? Do you have it? Okay, and everybody else undecided. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a little prayer tunnel right down here. Okay, we're going to have a little prayer. Didi, could you... Kind of get that organized a little bit. We're going to have a prayer tunnel down here. And as we end the service, I'd like you to come down and walk through that tunnel and be refreshed. 
Renew your mind. Dump that fear, okay? Get rid of that and never open your heart to it again. Don't ever open that again. You don't have to. It's not real. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't connect with you in any way. Okay? Will you do that? Everybody's pretty quiet here. You're making me, you're making me nervous. All right, let's stand. And on your way out, before you go, go through here. Just walk through here and be prayed for. Father, we thank you for whatever you're doing today. We thank you that you meet us where we are. You meet us at our place of need. And so, Lord, today we're asking that you would refresh in us that spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. That when we walk out of the doors this morning, Lord, we walk out more than conquerors, joint heirs with Jesus, a sound mind, a royal priesthood. Release that to us today, Lord. Refresh it in us. Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. We'll see you next week. Don't miss the tunnel.